Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today's sermon is entitled Prophecy in the Passover by Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. In this sermon, we will discover that Jesus Christ came as a fulfillment of the Passover. And now, Pastor Johnson. Now, I told you Sunday I was going to talk to you tonight about uh, prophecy in the Passover, and uh, and that's what we're gonna we're gonna talk about tonight. Uh, I trust I trust that I will be more blessed to you than boring. But I uh, I have some things that I want to say to you tonight, and this will be of a teaching uh, variety. But at the same time, I, I reserve the right to get beside myself because when I preach about Jesus Christ, I can't hardly contain myself even yet. He is, uh, he's the author and finisher of my faith. How about you? He's the author and finisher of my faith. Leviticus 23, 1 through 5 says, And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feast. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It's the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feast of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. Everybody say the Passover. Passover. So I'm going to talk about tonight, I'm going to be dealing with several issues here tonight, but the main focus is going to be prophecy in the Passover and how we get to where we are today through this Old Testament word. Now... Leviticus 23 is a key chapter in unlocking the prophetic mysteries of the Bible. The seven feasts, and we're not going to talk about all of them tonight, but the seven feasts of the Old Testament give us a divine blueprint for the future of the world. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 2 and 16 that the feasts were a shadow of things to come. Everybody say shadow. Here's a statement of fact. Everything God is going to do in the future, he has already done in the past. He is a patterned and principled God. Whether you believe it or not, God does not have surprises. He is a God of pattern and principle. If you really want to know what's going to happen tomorrow... You need to clearly examine what God has already done in his yesterday. The earth functions with sameness because God set it up that way. The sun arises, the sun sets, the full moons come, and they go. He tells the ocean how far it can come inland. Proverbs 30 and 4 said, Who hath ascended up to heaven or descended? Who had gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in his garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. You can track this God. You really, really can. I'm not saying that you can understand him, but you can track this God. And when you can't track him, I promise you, you can trust him. Because he is a God that can be trusted. The word feast, everybody say feast. feast. 
In the Hebrew is the word moed, M-O-E-D. It means simply a set time or an appointed time. That's what a feast is. It's a set time or it's an appointed time. Another Hebrew word connected to the feast is mikra. It means rehearsal or a recital. So moed means a set time, an appointed time, and mikra means a rehearsal or a recital. Put the two together and it means this, that God is showing us through the seven feasts that there's a rehearsal of the future at an appointed time. God has rehearsed the future at an appointed time. I believe right now, I believe right now that God has dates set and times set. And I believe that we are living right now in the end times. I believe that with all my heart. I'm not using that as a scare tactic. I'm using that as a joy tactic tonight. We are living toward the end of it all. Everything that God will do, He's already done. The Old Testament is seeing reality through what I call the shadows. See, the feast days Israel celebrated were times appointed. Everybody say appointed by God. They were communal and they were commemorative. They were used to bring the people of Israel together to celebrate the Lord and His works. And God appointed seven times for His people to do this yearly in the Old Testament. And the observance of these holy days or holidays presented the Hebrews' life lessons on sin and on judgment and on forgiveness and on the need for thanksgiving and on the importance of trusting God instead of their possessions. And that was something that Israel had a hard time to do, trusting God over their possessions because after all, they were Hebrew. But greater than this, I believe, was the theological importance of how each of the feasts were in type and how they are the foreshadowing of greater fulfillment found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first of these feast days, I'm going to cover three of them very briefly and I'm going to go back and talk about Passover. But the first of these feast days was the Passover. Everybody say the Passover. Okay, say Pesach. That's the Hebrew word, Pesach. Exodus 12 is the background. God has just sent nine plagues against Egypt to judge them for Israel's captivity and to use these to ultimately set the Hebrews free. And God is about to bring the tenth plague. And the tenth plague is the killing of the firstborn of every household. However, God is making provision for the people of Israel to be spared from the plague. Now, the plague is coming to all the world, but he is making provisions for the people of God to be spared from the plague. And it says, beginning in Exodus 12 and 2, I'm going to read a lot. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Everybody say Passover Passover. means I'm going to start all over with you. It's the first month. It's the first month of your year. Aren't you glad that God gives us do-overs sometimes? I believe every time we take communion, it's like starting over the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that in the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family and one for each household. And the animals you choose must be a year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. 
take care of them until the 14th day of the month and when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the doorframe of the house where they eat the lambs. Verse 11, this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You got to eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. You can't lollygog around with it. You got to eat it right now. Let's go. You can't say, I don't like that. You got to eat it. We got to get out of here. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn, both man and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. That's where it gets its name. I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Let's clap our hands to that. That's good stuff. Now, so God said, I'm going to spare those of Israel who act in faith and slaughter a lamb without defect and take some of the blood and put it on their doorpost. So that when the Lord came through to strike down the firstborn of all Egypt, he will, everybody say, pass over. He will pass over those houses with the blood on them and spare them. This is a, everybody say, lasting ordinance. It's not going to go away. One that is repeated every year in a Jewish home as a reminder of what God did for his people. Now, in modern homes today, even those that are not messianic, even the Jewish homes that still practice this, on the first night of Passover during the cedar, there is a tradition of three pieces of matzah, unleavened bread, and the middle piece is broken before dinner, and a larger piece is wrapped in a napkin and hidden. Stay with me. Then at some point in the meal, it is searched for and found, and each person is given a piece of the hidden bread to eat. The symbolism of this middle piece of unleavened bread with the matzah being pierced with holes and striped, stay with me now, is symbolic of Jesus Christ, the bread of life, who said to the disciples as he broke this bread, said, take, eat, this is my body which will be given up for you. The body that was hidden in the tomb, but did not stay hidden in the tomb, but resurrected to eternal life. Here's what I want to tell you. Even people that don't believe in Messiah have hidden bread that they put away. They do not realize that it's a symbol of the Christ that was buried. And when they bring it out of hiding and everybody eats the big piece of bread, they're celebrating resurrection of Jesus Christ and they don't even know what they're celebrating. Can I tell you, the Lord's going to get this gospel in you any way he can. He's going to get it. The day after Passover was another appointed time. It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Everybody say the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I'm just going to touch on this. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 12, verse 17 through 19. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I will not take that time. I'm speaking on Passover prophecy tonight. This was another day celebrated as a lasting ordinance. 
for generations to come. They were to eat bread made without yeast on the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day, seven days. For seven days no yeast shall be found in their homes. Watch this now. This was the day that the Israelites actually left Egypt on the day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Yeast was taken out of their houses. This was done meticulously. It was done quickly. This represented the haste that they were to leave Egypt with no leavened bread with them. Leaven represented sin. They baked without leaven. They did not want sin in their bread. The yeast did not have time to rise. They had to get out now. They left very, very quickly because the blood had been applied. They had to get out and not hesitate. Let me say something to some people here tonight. If the Lord has touched your life and you have confessed and you've repented of your sins, you don't need to tarry because the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the very next morning. If God has touched your life, you don't need to be lollygagging around church and saying, well, I'll get baptized someday. There'll be a day when I'll come on out of Egypt and I'll go on with the Lord. No, no, no. When the Lord touches your life, you get that leaven out of your house. You throw that sin back where it belongs. And you come on out and start following Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Because you've got to leave the sin question behind and say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Can you clap your hands for that right now? I'm following the Lord. That's what unleavened bread does. You've got to get out right now. You've got to get out right now. I used to, I used to, I used to think, why do pastors, when somebody comes to altar and repents, say, come on, let's get in that water. Why, why, why? Need lessons on that. We need a bunch of lessons. No, 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 you don't need lessons on that. You need to go ahead and get that leavened bread out of your life. You need to walk away from the sin question. The blood has been applied. Woo! Hallelujah. The lamb has been slain. The blood has been applied. The angel has passed over. you got to move on out. you got to get on down to the promised land because you can't hang around in Egypt after the blood has been applied to your life. Can I get a witness from the congregation right now? you got to do it. Yeast represents in metaphor an invisible per persuasive influence, often associated with corrupting influence, i.e. sin. Removal of yeast was symbolic of purification from sin. The Jewish households continue to do this, cleaning out all of the chomets. Anything that has yeast in it, anything, when they go through the Feast of Unleavened Bread, my friends, that's what you call a spring cleaning. Some of us, oh, let me preach now, need to clean some sin out of our houses. Some of us need to get sin out of our homes. Reading material. Things we watch on television we don't have no business watching. We need to get some sin out of our homes. We need to remove some things out of our lives. Because when the blood is applied, you can't stay in Egypt. You got to get on out. Say amen to that. And then the third feast, I, I better hush, I'm, I'm, I'm meddling now. The third feast of Israel was the feast of first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. 
Leviticus 23, we'll go back there, but it's different. It's a little bit further down in Scripture. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you and your reap its harvest. Bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so that it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring the offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generation to come. Everything's a lasting ordinance wherever you live. Now, this feast occurs on the day after the Sabbath following Passover. So it's, it's just right in the same line. It's, it's like, okay, you've got Passover, then you've got the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then you skip a day, and then you've got this day. So this would always be on a Sunday. Because Jewish Sabbath was a Saturday. And on the day of first fruits, they were to wave the first fruits of the barley harvest to honor God, declaring their trust in his provision and his faithfulness. Now, how did Jesus fulfill Passover? Okay, here we go. And I'll fix to start talking to you now. Jesus entered Jerusalem on what we call Selection Day. Palm Sunday was Selection Day for the lambs that would be sacrificed on Passover. Not only was Jesus selected by God on selection day, but he was sacrificed on preparation day. At a precise hour that the lambs were sacrificed. Lambs were slain at 3 p.m. or the ninth hour. Jesus died at the ninth hour. He was crucified in the third hour or nine o'clock in the morning. He hung for six hours, one hour for every man or ever ever number of man. Six, six hours, six is the number of man. And the veil in the temple at the ninth hour was ripped in twain from top to bottom. It had, uh, it had never happened before. It hadn't happened since. But there was more than a four-footed lamb dying that day. While a four-footed lamb was being sacrificed in the temple, a two-footed lamb, a lamb of God, was dying on a hill called Calvary. And the veil could not contain it because mercy was hidden behind the veil. And mercy said, I can't stay back here any longer. Hallelujah. i got to get out. And mercy came and marched through the veil that could not be pulled apart by 80 oxen, but because of mercy, it was ripped in twain from top to bottom. One writer said it this way, said it was like sand dissipating. It would just fell down because mercy, when Jesus died, had to get out, had to get out, had to get out. Aren't you glad mercy is with us tonight? Mercy had to get out. Mercy had to get out. Mercy's got to get out. Mercy's got to get out. Mm. So at his burial, at his burial, the feast of unleavened bread, he took the leaven, he took the sin. He who knew no sin became sin. And he died, I hate to use this terminology, as a sinner on the cross because he bore my sin. And he bore your sin. And he bore everybody's sin. And he took that leaven out of our hearts and they buried our sin with him. 
That's why in Romans 6 and 4, when we are baptized, we identify with his death and his burial. Hallelujah. And when we go down the sins that he took to the grave with him, we dissipate those sins out of us. We come up out of that water. It's not just ducking a a dry center and a, a wet one coming up. It is coming out of that water free indeed. Hallelujah. Because he took my sin to the grave and came out of that grave victorious. Somebody clap your hands and rejoice in that. And then the feast of first fruits comes right after that. He came out of the grave as the first fruits of resurrection. He was the bread of life. I'm just about to start preaching if you folks will help me a little. And you know what we do? You know what we do at the Feast of First Fruits? We wave the bread. We wave the barley. What we literally do is we wave him. He is the bread. We're holding on to the bread of life, Jesus Christ. When you lift up your hands and magnify him, you got a hold of the bread of life. You got a hold of the barley. You got a hold of the wheat. You got a hold of the grain that's going to sustain you because you are magnifying him as the resurrected one and the fruits, first fruits of resurrection. Folks, hear me. That's why we lift our hands. That's why we magnify the Lord because we are honoring the one that came out of the grave victorious. Oh, there's some wonderful preaching there, but I got to go on. Let me change tenors now. I want to look at an illustration using Joseph versus Jesus. In the Old Testament, one was mentioned. In the New Testament, the other was mentioned. The Old Testament is God's word concealed. The New Testament is God's word revealed. Joseph in the Old Testament was sent by his father to his brothers with some food in Shechem. Jesus was sent by his father in the New Testament to this earth as the bread of life and the living water. Joseph was rejected by his brethren in the Old Testament. Jesus was rejected. The Bible said he came into his own and his own received him not. Joseph was sold by his brothers for the price of a slave in the Old Testament. Jesus was sold by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave in the New Testament. Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and sent to prison. Jesus was falsely accused in the New Testament by the Pharisees and the Sadducees who said he was a drunkard. He was a demonized heretic. And they crucified and placed him behind the prison bars of death. Joseph in the Old Testament ascended out of prison to the right hand of Pharaoh. He became the most powerful man on earth at that time. Jesus in the New Testament broke the prison bars of death and was resurrected and went and sat on the right hand. Oh, would somebody help me preach right now of the Father. Joseph had a coat of many colors in the Old Testament. Jesus had a seamless robe that was so beautiful and so valuable that Roman soldiers gambled for it. Joseph in the Old Testament's brothers went to Egypt three times for food before Joseph revealed himself to them. Listen, 
on the third trip to Egypt, Joseph revealed himself to his brethren. You got to hear this. The Jewish people have become a state of Israel for the third time. Somebody say three times. The first time was when Joshua led them into the land of promise. They became a state. The second time was when Nehemiah came back from Babylon to bring and rebuild the walls and Israel became a state the second time. And the third time was in 1948 when Israel became a nation in a day according to Isaiah 66 and 8. The point is, on the third time when Jewish people became a nation or a state, that's when Messiah is going to be revealed. There won't be any more states of Israel. According to the word of God, what did Joseph's brothers do when he revealed himself to them? They wept and they cried publicly. What are the Jews going to do when Jesus reveals himself as Messiah to them? Zechariah 12 and 10 said, And they shall see him whom they have pierced and mourn as one mourns at the death of his only son. The point is, folks, every detail is revealed in the life of Joseph. And I repeat, to know the future we must master the knowledge of the past because everything that God will do, he has already done. The future of the world is revealed in the seven feasts of the Lord. It is a rehearsal for a set, everybody say set, set. an appointed time. The first feast, I'm going to review it just a little bit, is the feast of Passover. It's the story of the redemption by blood. Everybody say blood. I am, I am very tired of addressing this. I'm going to address it one more time, then I'm going to leave it alone. You can't have a gospel without the blood. I'm going to say it again. You can't have a gospel without the blood. It's not mind over matter. You are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were not redeemed with... You were not redeemed with silver or gold after the manner of vain conversation. But you have been redeemed by the precious, everybody say precious, blood of the Lamb of God that washes away our sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow. That washes white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing. 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 But the blood of Jesus Christ. All of these things are going to happen and we are all going to live through them one way or another. Christian people sometimes falsely assume that the feasts are Jewish feasts. But the Bible said these feasts are the Lord's. Now stay with me. The New Testament church celebrated these feasts. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5 and 8, Therefore, let us keep the feast with sincerity of heart. We must understand that God is doing something with every one of these, and they become a part and parcel of our life. I know that four were optional, but three were mandatory. And those three mandatory were Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacle. And you got to understand, and we'll talk about that one of these days, but you understand what Passover is now. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit descended. It was the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, 50 days after Passover. But also, you got to understand that the Feast of Tabernacle was a feast of praise. Now listen to me. Listen to me. you got to get this. If you don't get anything else, you got to understand that praise has got to be continual in the house of God. 
there must be praise. And to us, for us to have praise, there must be repentance. There must be an infilling of God's Spirit in the church. And there must be praise lifted up to the church. That's God's plan. Now, I'm here to declare to you right now, this church will be a hand clapping. This church will be a hallelujah praising. This church will be a thank God for salvation praying. Church until Jesus Christ comes. Anybody in favor of that, say amen. Anybody in favor of that, clap your hands all over the house. Because we must live in repentance. We must allow the Holy Spirit to fall. And we must celebrate. Hallelujah. I'm almost through. Maybe. Why seven? Because seven is the number of perfection and completion. God created the universe in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. He did not rest because he was tired. Omnipotence does not get tired. But God rested because he was establishing a pattern. It was a rehearsal of things to come. He was showing us that at the end of the sixth day, there was a rest of the Sabbath. And at the end of the sixth feast, there is a seventh day called the millennial reign. When we will beat our swords and our weapons into plowshares. And we will study war no more. As the song says, we're going to lay our burdens down, down by the riverside. We're not going to study war anymore. In Isaiah chapter 11 says, in that day, the seventh day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which is Jesus Christ, and his rest shall be glorious. Isaiah 29 and 18 says, in that day, the seventh day, the deaf shall hear, the eyes of the blind shall see, and the meek shall dance for joy. Folks, can I tell you something? The world, we're, we're not going to go downhill. This thing is not going to collapse under the force of Satan. We're going to rejoice in the end time like you have never believed possible in your life. There's going to be a day coming when we're going to sing songs of victory. We're going to dance like a heart on the mountainside. We're going to rejoice with everything that's in us because we are children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What a joy. What a joy. Now let me talk a little bit and I'll, I'll let you go. The son of David, the sea walker, the mighty God, the everlasting father. In these seven feasts are proof of the 7,000 year plan that God has for man. We're at the end of the sixth day. I told you Sunday 5775 is where we are in the Jewish calendar close thereof. But let me repeat that seven is a number of completion. Seven days in a week, seven feasts, seven ages and dispensations. Seven times seven is 49. Every 49 years in Israel was a year of, everybody say, jubilee. jubilee. In the year of jubilee in Israel, all debts were forgiven. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Just live long enough, you get out of debt. If your land was encumbered by anyone, it had to be returned to you debt-free. In Israel, to this day, you cannot own land because they say it belongs to the Lord. You can lease it for 49 years from the government. But at the <laughs> Mr. Netanyahu will let you lease some. But at the end of 49 years, it goes back to the state. Pretty cool, isn't it? Then Daniel comes with his teaching in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. It says simply this, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. 
and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Isn't that going to be a great day? And to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Everybody say 70 times 7 is 490. Now I'm fixing to blow your mind. In the scripture from the birth of Abraham, who was the father of faith that came out of the Ur of the Chaldees, ever 490 years, God does something sensational. Hear me, something breathtaking. From the birth of Abraham, it's 490 years to the Passover and the exodus from Egypt. A powerful demonstration of God's ability to set men and women free from bondage when they have faith in the fact that he can do that. Egypt is a type of sin in the world. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Moses is a type of the deliverer. The Red Sea is a type of water baptism. The cloud is a type of the Holy Spirit. The wilderness is a place of testing. The promised land is a place of reward. The whole gospel is expressed in this story. Some of you are going through a wilderness time of testing right now. I have good news for you. The promised land is on the way. It's your next stop. Because God is with you. He's not going to do it before and not do it now. Clap your hands and rejoice to that right now. Faith will get you through. Now stay with me. From the Passover to the dedication of Solomon's temple is another 490 years. Boy, I'm going to proof text that tonight, preacher. Go ahead. That's fine. Why is that important? Because the first was just a tabernacle in the wilderness. God wanted a permanent location for his house to dwell. So Solomon's temple became important. It became a city. It became a place. It became a place where people could go up to and worship the God of glory. From the dedication of Solomon's temple to the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem after Babylonian captivity was another 490 years. Because Jerusalem is God's inheritance. But here's what's beautiful. From the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, Daniel says it's at 483 years, the seed of David would be cut off. Seven years shy of 490. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Exactly 483 years, 33 AD, Jesus bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It is finished. So where are the other seven years? The other seven years will be when the Antichrist and the seven years of tribulation is taking place. While the bride of Christ is with the Lord. Some of you may not believe that. If I cross your theology, I am so sorry. But God always does what he's already done. No, no, no. You got to get it. He always does what he's already done. He saved Noah from the flood. He saved the Israelites from destruction. He's going to save his church. Are you with me? He's going to save his church. I give you hope tonight. I give you hope tonight. I give you hope tonight. This church is not going under. It's going over. This church is not going to be defeated. It's going to be victorious. Amen. Come on, lift your hands all over the house here tonight. Lift your hands all over the house here tonight. Wow. Wow. Peter said, one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. When his kingdom comes, everybody say his kingdom. Randy, help me. We won't be asking the ACLU if it's all right to pray. Every hospital will be emptied. No more terrorism. 
No more suicide bombers. No more Saddam Husseins. No more Bin Ladens. No more ISIS groups. Because the Prince of Peace will be here and he'll be ruling and reigning. Isaiah said in the Millennial Kingdom in Isaiah chapter 11 that a child can play on a cockatrice nest. The cockatrice is a deadly viper. And if it bit you, you'd take two steps and drop dead. But a child will play on the nest of vipers and not be hurt. A snake will be defamed and depoisoned during the millennium. God's going to take the bite out of Satan. He's going to take the sting out of death. Everybody say glory to God. Amen. So be it. Let it happen, Lord. Every now and then, a pastor's got to come along and tell you, it's not going to end bad. Every now and then. Every now and then. It all starts with Passover. It all starts with Passover. And so for the next two or three weeks, we're going to be celebrating in this place. We're going to repent. It. We're going to be repenting. We're going to get some unleavened, our leavened bread out of our houses. We're going to be lifting up our hands. We're going to give him, be giving him the first fruits of our hearts and our lives. We're going to be given to a cause greater than ourselves. We're going to be praising the name of the Lord with all that's in us. And when I tell you that this is going to be one of the greatest Easter seasons we've ever experienced in our life, you could say amen to that. Listen to me. Listen to me. I know, I know what happens to life because I've lived life. It's 34 years Friday that I lost my family. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Listen to me. It's worth every step on this side to know that I have a hope beyond this life. If I had hope on in this life, I would be so miserable. But I got a hope, folks. I got a hope. A little sister met me at the door and said, Pastor, I've lost three of my kinfolks in the last few weeks. I've lost three of my kinfolks. I got one person left in my life that is close to me and dear to me that's kinfolks. And I wanted to say to her, I know she's listening to me right now. She's precious and I love her. But you know what? It's going to be worth it all. Whatever you lose, whatever you lose in this life to obtain Christ, it's going to be worth it all. Whatever you have to lay down, whatever you have to say, I don't need that anymore, that I may obtain Jesus Christ in my life. Whatever it is, whatever you have to lay down, lay it down. It's not worth it. It's not worth the price. It's not worth the price of being in the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ when this thing's all said and done. I love the story of Ruth. I love the story. When Naomi comes home, she brings little Ruth with her, little Moabitess girl. And the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, sees Ruth, and he thinks she's kind of foxy. Honestly, really, the Bible's real. So he tells the gleaners, he said, leave some handfuls on purpose for her. I just want her to be blessed. There's something about that mama that's just sweet. I want her to be blessed. And she picks up those handfuls of purpose and she puts them in her apron. And then nighttime comes. And she goes to Naomi and Naomi says, here's what you need to do. Listen to me, honey. Here's what you need to do. You need to get in his tent. 
It's not R-rated. You need to get in his tent. And you need to lay down at his feet. And when he wakes up in the night, you need to be right there at his feet. Waiting to wait on him. And serve him. And be what he needs you to be. Can I tell you, bride of Christ, can I tell you something? God's left a lot of handfuls on purpose for us. Because he thinks we're pretty foxy. He thinks we're pretty sharp. You understand that? And we've picked them up and we've come on to church. But I tell you what you need to do now. I'll tell you what you need to do this season. You need to get right in there close to his feet. And you need to lay down. Pardon me for doing this. You need to lay down right at his feet. And when he, when he wakes up in the night, the first thing he's going to see is a child of God that trusts him and loves him and is not going to run away when things get dark in their life. They're going to snuggle up to the feet of the kinsman redeemer. That's what they're going to do. He said, if you'll draw nigh to me, what did he say? What did he say? I'm giving you an option here. I'll give you blessings. I think you're sweet. I think you're cute. I think you're precious. And I am your redeemer. But anybody want to lay at the feet of Jesus Christ? Anybody want to do that in this hour? Clap your hands real big and say, I love him. I love him. I love him. Come on, clap your hands real big. The Bible's the real gospel. It's right, it's infallible, it's on target. Jesus Christ is coming again. This is a season of awesome grace. It's a season of awesome remissions. It's a season of awesome, awesome victories. Hey, hey, you know, can you imagine, can you imagine what Boaz thought when he woke up? He didn't, he didn't invite her in. She just took the privilege to come on into an open tent when he woke up and saw her. I guarantee the next day he said, hey, something happened last night, ain't never happened. What happened? That Moabitish woman, she don't know nothing about this redeeming business. She knows nothing about what's really happening in the spirit world. She's curled up at my feet last night. And when I woke up, she said, is there anything you need? Water, you need food, you need a meal, What? anything you need. He said, I, I hadn't been treated like that in a long time. Maybe that's why Jesus, when he went outside to, side, to Tyre and Sidon, he found a little woman that had a, a daughter vexed with the devil. And she said, Lord, I need my daughter to be healed. He said, it's not meat to give the children's bread to dogs. She said, that's truth, Lord, but the dogs do eat the crumbs. And he said, I hadn't found such faith in all of Israel. I hadn't found it. Then he went to a centurion. The centurion had a sick, sick servant. And centurion was an Italian, knew nothing about the customs of Jesus Christ. All he knew, all he knew 
was that this is Jesus and I want to get as close to him as I can get. Come on, children of God. I know hell has thrown everything in the kitchen sink at you through the holidays and through this time, but this is our season. This is our season. Come on. This is our season. It's our time. This is our season. It's our time. Come on. Let's get close to him. Let's get close to him. Come on. Let's get close to him because he thinks we're mighty pretty. He thinks we're very special. Come on. Stand to your feet all over the building. Lift your hands. Let's get close to him tonight. Praise him. Praise him all over the house. Let's get close to him tonight. Let's get close to him tonight. Come on, let's get close to him tonight. Oh, hallelujah. Let's get close to him tonight. Come on, let's get close to him tonight. Passover's awesome. Come on, let's get close to him tonight. Hallelujah. 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 And that concludes today's podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.